Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So Jesus is calling them out as being no different from these people in Isaiah. He's saying, your hearts are just as far from me as these people that led to the downfall of the nation and led to you being captive by the Romans that you hate so much and are waiting to break free from, and you think your tradition is going to break you free from it. He said, your hearts are just as far. Even though they might look better, even though they're not doing as crazy of things, not as many of those outward idols. But their traditions have become the idol. And they've become just as guilty as the people written here in Isaiah. Jesus says, you're just as far from me. See, the issue in Matthew 15 is these teachers are clearly pointing to themselves. Um, They're pointing to man-made ideas and traditions to elevate themselves to a place of righteousness. And they're not actually pointing people to God and his word. In doing so, they actually are leading people further from God. And he calls them blind, leading the blind. And they're going to fall into a ditch. And they're going to cause others to fall. So to address this, he looks at the crowd. And in the next verses, 10 and 11 and 15 through 20, Jesus says, this is what defiles you. He says, not what goes into your mouth, not the food you eat or eating with unwashed hands that makes you unright. He said, we are made not right. We are defiled by the words that come out of our mouths. Um, And a little bonus note here. I don't want you thinking you can put anything into you and there's no effect. Eating really terrible food is not great if you like McDonald's every day, poutine every day, if you've had poutine since you've been here. He's not saying, eat that all you want. You're going to feel great. Do that. Don't do that. Also, it's not saying that there are not defiling things that we can take in ourselves. One example is pornography and those things like that makes us bad, like bad, bad. Those can defile us. Like it's not saying, do put whatever you want in you, on you. It's not saying that. But Jesus is saying here there's a bigger issue that's defiling you. There's a bigger issue that's leading to these things, your choices. It's not what you're eating. And it's a little confusing. Like the first words he gives there when he looks at the crowd, it's a tad confusing. And you're like, oh, man, maybe I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's okay. The disciples didn't get it either because a few verses later, Peter goes, hey, could you explain that for me? I don't get this parable. And Jesus is like, well, it's not really a parable. It's just like straight truth. And Peter's like, ah, could you explain it for me? So in verse 16, he looks at him, and I feel like this is how he looks at me all the time. And Jesus looks and he says, don't you understand yet? He's like, Can't, don't you get this just yet? We've been over this. He's like, come on, we've been over this for 15 chapters now. But can't you see why Jesus has come? His mission He keeps making the same point every chapter just in different ways. Um, And he says here, whatever you eat is digested, ends up in the sewer. I'm resisting every urge to make a joke, but it is, you eat it, it passes through, you comes out. That's all you need to know. Um, But the words you speak, your actions, Jesus says, come from your heart. That's actually what defiles you. So I I thought of this for what the heart, from the heart comes evil blank. Like you could just put 
any blank there, evil this, evil thoughts, evil sayings, evil desires. From the heart comes evil. So Jesus is pointing to our desperate need for a Savior here. And us, as we read this scripture, and we're like, okay, if my heart is what's evil and it's what's defiling me, how can I be clean? How do I make my heart not produce evil? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, my heart's evil. How do I make it not evil? What do I do? Um, And Jesus boldly said that these evil things come from the innermost nature. They aren't accidents or mere mistakes we're making. They reveal how corrupt we are in our fallen nature. So I read this scripture and I'm like, okay, if washing my hands and eating the right things and doing the right things is not going to make me unclean or undefiled, what will? Dylan, what can I do? How can I fix my heart? You can try so many ways. And you'll still be left with brokenness. Because there's only one way that your heart is healed. And the only way is through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans 3, 20 through 25, says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So we're like, i got to keep the law, and that will make my heart clean, right? And he says, no, you can literally never be made clean by keeping the law. It's pointing to how sinful you are. And 21 of Romans 3 says, but now God has shown us a way. There is a way. Don't worry. Don't stress. There's a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses. The last couple of verses here, 22, says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, For everyone has sinned. You and I, we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So you're saying, how can I fix my heart? This is the only and absolute way. There is no other way for your heart to be healed. I promise you, church. And you will seek every other way before you finally humble yourself and come to this place. Jesus renews our hearts. He doesn't just fix it. See, the thing is, he doesn't just come in and, you know, polish it off and clean it up and say, all right, you're good to go. He literally gives us a new heart. He puts his very spirit in us. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21, it says, Now it is God who makes us both, who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, that we belong to him. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He doesn't just clean up our heart. He says, no, here is a brand new one. Here is my very spirit inside of you because you could never be made new unless you took on my spirit. And it's free. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I'm made new by him. Many of you may know this. I challenge you after this. Where's Juan? Where's Juan? Ask him after this. Say, Juan, what's Galatians 2.20? He should have it memorized. Someone do that after this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am made 
new in and by and through Christ Jesus only. Only then are we made clean. Only then do we have a healed and renewed heart that he puts into us his very own. And once you have that, church, nothing can defile it. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, once you have that, nothing will ever undo it. Nothing will ever make that unclean because it is my very nature in you. And it cannot be undone. Jesus has the power to make us clean by his sinless life, his death on the cross, paying the price of our sins, and his resurrection from the dead. He can make us clean. He makes us new, and he gives us his nature. And it is free for you today. A lot of times we think, I've got to clean myself up. I've got to, I got to do better. I've got to stop doing this. You know, Maybe once I move closer to the church, I can do this. Or once I do this, I can do that. We start building these excuses, again, pointing to the fact that I must do something to get this. I must work to get this gift. And there's a reason, I think, in Matthew 15 here, he follows all of this with the story of the faith of a Gentile woman. I don't think it's by mistake that he's like, you must be made clean. And then it's like, well, how, how do I do that? How do I receive that? How am I to receive this free gift? And I think these verses illustrate the position our hearts must be in to receive Jesus. So in verses 21 through 28, it's this story of this Gentile woman coming and begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And first I want to look at the first, uh, verse 22, um, how she approaches Jesus in such a beautiful way. She comes to Jesus as a woman who lived came pleading, begging. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. There is so much in just those few words. She's assigning Jesus the proper glory She's acknowledging that he is the Messiah to come from the line of David, that he is the Savior, capital T, the only Savior. And she is pleading for mercy from the Savior. I looked up a good definition of mercy because it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, she needs mercy. Um, It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom is within one's power to punish or harm. A blessing of an act of divine favor or compassion. What a beautiful image here of her realizing that she needs the Savior and that she needs mercy from the Savior because he in every right could judge her and condemn her and not heal her daughter. But she comes, she says, you are the Savior, you can do it, and I beg for mercy from you, for compassion and saving from you. And I know I don't deserve it. It's in every right for you to punish She recognizes who Jesus is immediately in his authority and that she needs mercy, not deserving it, but pleading and worshiping him for it. And in all of that, even though we could say, man, she did it the right way, Jesus looks at her and he says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And you'd be like, that is not what I was expecting you to say. She came in with all the right words, all the right things. He's like, no, I I came here for God's lost sheep. And we know Jesus isn't looking at her and saying that he didn't come to save Gentiles too. In fact, all of scripture is pointing that God came to save all. In fact, a very common scripture, John 3.16, many of you may know it, said, God so loved the world. This is where you respond. God so loved the 
world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes shall not perish. So he's clearly not looking at this woman and saying, well, you're not the world that I came to save. Like, I can only save these people. He's, like, so cleverly testing her faith. Because he's wondering, does she believe these things she's saying? She's making these claims, but does she believe it? Is she like the Pharisees before, where she's honoring God with her lips? She's like, oh, you're God, you're Savior. Yes, yes, yes. But her heart, is it actually far from him? Does she believe these things as her faith proved in action? And she continues, even after he says that, she says, she continues and worships and pleads, Lord, help I have no other option. And Jesus again responds in a way that we just would not expect. He says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's so cold. It's not as cold as you think it would be. Like, it's a very common, like, saying in the times of, like, for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's not rude. He's not being rude to this woman. So don't think, oh, Jesus is a jerk. I can be a jerk. Don't you ever. I will come and we will have a conversation. Um, I won't beat you up, I promise. Um, I'm a very passive person. But um, he's looking at her, and he's again, he's like, I need to test. I need to see, like, is this real? Are you just wanting to say these things? So he's like, it isn't right to take this food from my children and throw it to the dogs. And the woman replies, oh, man, come on. I want this kind of heart. She says, that's true, Lord. She recognizes, she's like, even the dogs, even me. We're allowed to eat scraps that fall beneath the master's table. And Jesus said, your faith is great. It's real. It's not only words, but it's action and it's belief. What a picture. Also, like, we didn't plan for there to be a dog up here before we talked about dogs. But how perfect does that work of, like, me feeding this, like, little rat dog up here? Um, You'd be like, oh, yeah, um, great illustration. Um, but I love this story here and how this woman responds. Uh, sometimes it could get me crying sometimes. Because this has to be the position of our hearts, church. This has to be how we receive Jesus. This is how we are to approach the Savior. And it directly contrasts the Pharisees before. Um, they think they're righteous and made right because they do all the right things. They say all the right things and that they've earned it. They deserve it. They deserve for Jesus to do this to them. They sit at the table and they have a place next to him because of what they've done. And the direct contrast of this woman saying, I don't even deserve a place at the table, at the end of the table. I don't deserve to be a dog under the table. But God, in your mercy, could you throw scraps to the dogs? Because even the master has mercy to throw scraps. Even the dogs eat a little. That is the heart we are to have because I need saving. You need saving. You need a new heart. And you cannot make it new on your own. Nothing I can do can save myself. But do I really believe that? Do I really believe that I need a Savior? Do I really believe that he is the only way for me to be saved? That I'm not worthy to sit at the table? That I'm not even worthy of the scraps? Do I truly know that my sins are many based on the actions and the choices I've made in my life? That I don't deserve any of it? Do I truly know that I need a Savior? 
Or do I live as though, yeah, you know what, like I've done good enough. I sit here in this room because I had a pretty good week. I get to do this because, you know, I was pretty good this week. You know, I didn't make the same choices I made last week. I, I cleaned myself up. Uh, I put on uh, a clean shirt, and, you know, I, maybe I brushed my teeth this morning. Sometimes I get going and I forget to do that. But I've revisited it, okay? I revisit it. But maybe that's you. You're like, sometimes I really live as though I have earned where I am that I have worked hard enough to make myself clean enough to deserve Jesus, and then I start demanding things from him. Oh, church, come on. If that's you this morning, I pray that he's slapping you around with his truth as much as he did me this week. Because in his mercy, he gives love. In his mercy, he gives more than just scraps. He doesn't just say, okay, your dogs, here's a little scrap of bread or bagel. He looks and he says, in his mercy and love, he gave his life in your place so that he could put his very spirit into you. Church, we have to have this position of our heart to receive him and to live in Jesus. We can't, if we think we've earned it, or if we think that we can ever work hard enough for a seat at the table, we must understand our desperate, absolutely desperate, no other way need for a Savior, and that the only Savior is Jesus Christ, is the only way we can receive Him. So as we begin to collect our thoughts and think over the Scripture, and maybe you're struggling with it, and maybe you're like, amen, that's truth, like, come on, let's go. Um, I struggled with it this week. I can be a very prideful person. And it was a very big wake-up call for me in how I approach and deal with the Lord and how I lead other people to the Lord. Those, those words in the first few verses where Jesus looks and he says, why do you by your own tradition violate direct commands or the words of God? He says you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Really pierced my heart this week. It made me question in my own life where I'm so stubborn and unwilling to change that I'm not only missing, but directly violating God's words and his commands for me. I started to think, what traditions or paradigms do I cling to while ignoring and violating God's word? That I'm so set in stone in this way that something must be done like this, that they must come in like this or do this, for this, that I'm missing God at work, that I'm missing his words, and I'm actually violating his word. And so God kind of led me to these words as I unpacked the scripture, and I just kind of wrote some things down that made sense to me. So I wrote, never lead people by your personal convictions. Our role is simply to point them to him and his word. Do not lead them by your tradition. Lead them to the feet of Jesus so they can hear his commands and his words for themselves. Not from you, but for him. But from him. So I pray that that's us, church. I pray that I don't get in the way of his word because I'm trying to make people look like me. I pray that we lead people to the feet of Jesus where we have received his love and his new heart instead of saying, look like this before you receive. 
Do I fight to keep tradition and make people look like me while ignoring God's word, or I'm simply, or am I simply pointing people to him? Am I like the Pharisees here in the story, the teachers here who think I'm so worthy because of all that I've done, all the traditions that I've kept? Man, I show up every Sunday. I even serve on Sundays. I'm setting up. I'm making coffee. I serve at the food bank too. Man, I'm lifting. We did 1,000 kilos of food last month. Man, I'm worthy because I lifted all of that. I touched every single piece of that. I'm a member at Renaissance. Man, I'm so worthy because I've become a member. I do this or I do that for the church. I lead worship for the church. I'm nice to people at work. It's so hard to be nice at work. People are the worst. I do good things. I give to the poor. And I say all the right things. Shouldn't I get something? Don't I deserve a place? Don't I deserve to feel better than I do right now? You will never You will feel worse because you have started making demands from a place that you don't deserve. God, our our hearts must come to this place of surrender. I pray that's where we come to surrender this morning. And Jesus isn't looking at these things, all these things, and saying traditions are bad. He's not saying that. He didn't say all traditions are bad, and he didn't say all are good. He compared traditions to the word of God and put them at a much lower priority um, than what God had said. These things are bad. These traditions are bad when we think they are what saves us. When we think this is what makes us righteous and that we deserve something now because we have done these. Instead of the position of our heart being, I have received a savior, a new heart, so I do this. I don't get because I have done. I do because I have been given. We honor God with, when we honor God with our lips, but not with our hearts, our traditions get in the way of God's word, and we forget our desperate need for a Savior. Let us not do that this morning. Let us not do that this week. Let us not get wrapped up in the tradition for tradition's sake. Let them point to him. Let them be a worship of him coming from the place of receiving new life in Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want God to look at me and say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I want his very heart. I want to be at his feet. I want to be as close to him as I can. Uh, my son Judah, many of you have seen him. He walks around with us here. I try to get him to walk around, but constantly he's like pulling on my, my pants and like tugging on me. He's like, pull me up, pull me up, take me. I need you, I need you. That's how close I want to be to the Savior is this constant pulling of, I need to be closer, I need to be closer. And it's like, you can't get any closer to me. You're literally attached to me. That's how close I want to be to the Savior church. And he says, it's freely given to you. You do not have to work harder to get there. That it has been offered to you by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.